Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive those as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. October 1987, drove from a youth event in Dallas, Texas. I was the district president for the Nazarene Church, uh, NYI president. We'd had this big event for Southern Nazarene University. It sponsored it there at Six Flags, like they do all they used to do here for Point Loma out at uh, Magic Mountain. Got in a van, Dan and I, four kids, and we cut it across the United States from Dallas to Chandler Boulevard. There wasn't much on Chandler Boulevard, houses to the south, but there was really no mall. There was no mall. There not really wasn't. There wasn't, okay? There was no Price Freeway. There was Price Road. And so there we were. Dropped Jan and the kids off at the hotel there and and we were hungry. It was about noon. I don't remember exactly what time it was, but I said, well, I'll run down here, and there's a down on about, I don't know if it's Kyrene and, and uh, Chandler, somewhere in there. There was, there was a Taco Bell KFC. Some of you may remember that. Went in there, grabbed some food, driving back towards the hotel, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, this is the ugliest place I've ever seen. What in the world am I doing here? I'm going back to the hotel, picking up Jan and the kids, make a phone call, and we're headed back home to Texarkana. We'd had options. We'd been praying about going to Africa. We'd had options to move across the country as a youth pastor. But I didn't. Really had never done that with my whole family and made that kind of trip, but especially somewhere that was this ugly. Temptations come in all sizes. They come in all kinds of shapes. And different temptations for different people. I mean, I may have a temptation that you don't have. You have a temptation that I don't have. Most of you don't have a temptation to follow the Razorbacks on Twitter or, or, or social media, right? That's not your temptation. Well, you check on it too much. Often we find out the temptation often sometimes is to believe that God has abandoned us, and we find out later that God not only didn't abandon us, it was his kindness and his favor. But the temptation is to believe he abandoned us. Humans are free moral agents. We believe in free will and our theology, just in case you were wondering. We have the power of decision in many ways. At least we have the power of decision over our choices. As I've told my kids, you have, you have free will to choose your choices, but you don't have necessarily free will to choose your consequences. 
and really works its way out in life that way, right? We so often want to have that free will to choose our choices, but unfortunately, we don't get the same option to choose our consequences. Adam and Eve set the example for it that we can choose to go against what God's best is for us or God's way. We can choose that. The Greek word here for enter into Leave me not into temptation. The word here, the translation here is to enter into, excuse me. To, but it's more than keeping us from encountering temptation. It literally means to keep us from entering into its demands and to be dominated by it and the consequences of it. I love what the message paraphrase of this passage of Scripture, Eugene Peterson says, Lord, keep us safe from ourselves. No matter how old we are, how mature we are, no matter how long we've been in the faith, and no doubt as we go in faith, uh, there are certain things that begin to drop off later that might not have, might have been a temptation when you were 25 that might not be when you're 65. I get that. There may be certain things that, that uh, over time it becomes less and less, but we never reach the point where we outrun temptation or outlive it. Even a person who may be in a hospice who at the end of their life can still be bitter at the end of their life, can choose things that are not lining up with God's righteousness. We have that. It's never going to go away. So if it's not going to go away, maybe we need to know how to deal with it. Maybe we need to know how to walk in it, this life, where it's not going away. Have you ever experienced in your life the devastation of sin. You no longer called it something else. You know what it is. There are times it's a devastation of sin from someone else. But as we say all the time here, life's not living in a vacuum, right? If you wanted to choose sin as a father or as a husband or wife and mother or child or whoever, you wanted to choose sin and you only lived in a vacuum and you wanted to destroy yourself just by yourself, well, I would hate it for you, but I could just say go for it. But there's a problem with that, right? It's not done in a vacuum. So your, our choices often and our decisions of sin and really calling it what it is and not calling it something else, but calling it what it is, often others pay just as big a price, if not bigger. Sometimes we can't forgive ourselves because of the dev devastation of the sin that we've committed. We don't know how to move past that. We talked about it last week, and I didn't get deep into it, but, but one of the biggest challenges and temptations is God can't forgive you. But I'll reiterate what I said last week, and I'll say that about forgiveness towards others. The power of the blood that was shed on the cross has the power to forgive any sin. Okay, any. 
But it also, if it has the power to forgive me of any sin, it has also the power to forgive anyone else of any sin. We don't like that part, do we? Sometimes. That's good news. But Scripture's real clear. We don't presume on all that all the time. Since grace abounds, so can sin abound. What does Paul say? No way. No way. That's not what this is about. It's not finding, oh, God's grace is all this. And I can always, the temptation is, well, where, 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 where grace abounds, sin can abound. No, that's not. Let me tell you who I believe this part, first part of this prayer, and, and obviously we're going to go through both sides of this or two parts of it here. You will pray this prayer differently, in my opinion, if it's from the cry of a heart that has felt the devastation of sin. Let me say it again. You will pray this differently if it's from a cry of the heart of a broken spirit who has felt either by their own choice or someone else's the devastation of sin and its consequences. You realize what sin can do to you and you realize what sin can do to others. And you do not want to go near it again. You don't want to play around with it. You don't want to see how close to the line you can get. You don't want it. How often have you prayed the Lord's Prayer and that thought came across your mind? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the... Lord, I don't want to go into sin anymore because I know the weight of it. I know the devastation of it. I see it around me. I don't want to go there again. Is that what you thought? Because it's easy to do it rote, right? Said it so many times. Just say it again. This kind of prayer comes out of a, of a heart that feels threatened by sin. I don't mean running in fear of it. I'm not running in fear of the enemy. I'm just saying that knows in their knower, in the depths of their soul, this can't happen. And when you truly pray, lead me not into temptation, and you truly are thinking that way and it's coming from that heart, man, there's some things happening in you at that point towards the maturity of what God wants to do in your life. We're asking the Lord to reinforce our will by his strength every day. Maybe multiple times a day. <laughs> and to resist the enemy that we'll talk about in just a minute and his schemes. First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I almost, when I read that, I go, 
I would rather just, there's a way out where you can just be at peace and live life just happy and joyous. No, it says endure it. Like, oh, dang. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, ah, that's not what I'm looking for. Endure it. Titus 2, 11, 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Not when you get to heaven, but in this present age. So if this is all true, then man, I need to think about this a little different. If it's true. But temptation, I think we all know kind of what that means. I mean, uh, just to clarify, temptation does not mean sin in itself, but sin is giving into it, to be drawn into it, to continue to follow it, to kind of then many times enter into under its demands and domination in the way that it's the Greek word there is used. And we do not have time today. We could probably do small groups and sit around tables and you could talk about your temptations and I go, I ain't never been tempted by that before in my life. Okay, but it's a distraction for you, right? You could say, well, it's not causing any irreparable, you know, irreparable harm to my family or anything, but it's a distraction for what God wants to do in your life. See, often we excuse temptations or even small things are almost distractions or we just take on things as if they're, they're amoral, which they are often. But when they become an excuse not to follow God and his purposes, then they move into a different category. Greed and anger and pornography and drugs and alcohol and consumerism, illegal business practices, cheating on your taxes, instant gratification. It's a huge one where we are today. I mean, instant gratification is one of the, probably one of the biggest ones for some of us, from eating to, to credit card debt to just you, you just go down the list of instant gratification. I want it now. I'll deal with it later, but I want it now. And we can go through a list of things that would, could, could put us there that some seem harmless in the moment, even other people, well, that's kind of harmless, but it adds up. And you've heard me say here often, I don't know where I heard it years ago, but it wasn't something I came up with. If sin had more immediate consequences, there'd be less of it. If I knew if I committed a sin right now and I had consequences right like five minutes afterwards, I might quit doing that. <laughs> but sometimes it's years later. Sometimes it's an accumulation of small decisions that now add up. Temptation of addiction to technology and food and gadgets and scarcity. Temptation to just live in scarcity. I'm going to hang on to everything. I'm not going to be generous. Obviously, gossip. Temptation to blame others. Temptation to justify my behavior because that's, how, that's the peer group I hang out with. The temptation to believe that being a child of God is not enough. The temptation 
to allow the cares of this world to come in at times and choke out. The deceitfulness of wealth to come in and choke out the good seed. I wrote a little deal the other day, and I won't read it for you, and I don't know what I'm ever going to do with it, but I called it The Dilemma. My title was The Dilemma. Been very blessed to have a chance to sit on Christopher Creek on a porch and just enjoy the 58 to 60 degrees in the morning and smell the, the pine trees and the hardwoods and hear the dogs barking in the distance, and you're just sitting there, and you're going, I could do this the rest of my life. 61 years old, even to the dilemma of going, you know, I could, I could, I know how to pastor, you know, lead pastor now after all these years. I could kind of do all those things. I kind of know how to move in and out of that. Some of you say, well, you're not very good at some of it. I agree, and uh, I agree with that, and I'm okay with it too, and if you're not, that's your deal. No, just kidding about that. I could get better, and I go, okay, I could, and I could be innovative on a little bit of this, go on mission trips over here, take some people over there, do some things like that, but, you know, and just kind of, because, see, I could do that because I know how to do that, and a matter of fact, I could just, just do that, just that, and still be coasting. Just get to the finish line, whatever that is, 65, 66, and 10 months, that's my deal, retirement or whatever that is, you know, whatever you're, trying to, whatever you're shooting for, and just go, man, if I can do that, because I know how to do that, I don't have to really even get uncomfortable. Yeah, there's times I'm uncomfortable, but I don't really have to. There's really nothing stretching me, and there's sometimes I can do some innovative things, but the problem is, as you're sitting there, there's something nagging inside of you saying you're built to run. You're not built to coast. You're not built to coast. You're not built to coast till you get to the end of this thing, kind of cruise on into the end of it. You're built to run, man. And I pray, Lord, take that nagging thing away sometimes because I don't want to do that because it's hard. I love what Monty Williams says, everything you want in life is on the other side of hard. Temptation. The temptation that goes along with that is to rationalize, I deserve it. I've worked hard. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. The temptation, often, and I've seen kids growing up in the church, and people say, well, those kids are just sheltered. And I get that. I get where that comes from. They haven't lived life. They're sheltered. I love what C.S. Lewis says. It's one of my favorite quotes. C.S. Lewis says, A silly ideal is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like to do it an hour later. That's why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in.
Well, I have all these temptations. You're sheltered because you don't give it. You don't think other people don't have temptations? What do you think? It's just different for people. It's different ways to be led away from the Lord. Yeah, it may not be cigarettes or alcohol that we would throw at or pornography or whatever, but there's temptations. And if, a, and if a believer's battle, and for some of you today, this may even be a shock to you. I, I'm going to say something here, mainly because Jesus said it. It gives me covering. If our only fight in life is over what goes over on in my mind, and in my heart, because of the endemic nature, Adam's nature, I was born with. If that was the only battle, at least there would be some point I could potentially say, if I can get to here and begin to be more disciplined and God's power working in me, I can quit making bad choices. And so because I'm making, not making bad choices, bad, and people around me are not making bad choices, then there's really no bad consequences. But then Jesus taglines this thing. Deliver us from the evil one. Most of us in here do not want to think about that. Matter of fact, we're not even sure it exists. Oh, we, anybody would almost, you know, whatever religion or no religion or atheism, they'd go, there's some form of evil. We all kind of know, oh, that's evil. We can actually name things in history or name people. People's faces come to our mind of notorious evil people. So it's not like people in general don't believe in evil. But if you believe there's one orchestrating, well, I don't know about that. So we have two battlefronts, and I mean battlefronts, in our own war. and the war that goes on around us. Why would Jesus tagline this? Because that really basically is the last line of this prayer in some translations, okay? Sometimes believe that, you know, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever was added later or whatever. But this right here, this is the last line, at least we, most people would agree, is in this prayer. Could have left it out. I mean, he had to know because he knows beginning and end of time. He knows that. He had to know that people are going to be repeating this thing over and over and over and over and over in all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of events. And you're going to have people say that are, don't even know what Christianity is about. Deliver us from the evil one? What's that all about? I have no idea why Jesus, I say no idea, but I, I think I have at least a little bit of an idea, a better way to say it. We talk about it often here. When I gave my life to Christ, I realized, and Dallas Woodard's the one I got this from, I believe, is that you stepped into the divine drama. There was a great story that was going on, and you just realized you have a role in it. You stepped into it. You're now like, wow, okay, I didn't know all this was going on. 
And now I'm in the story that's major, major. I thought it was all about me, and I thought everybody, I thought I was the main character in this whole thing, and everybody else was just supporting cast. That's called self-centeredness. That's what the edemic nature would do to you. But what if Jesus here, what if he is taglining this, lack of a better way to say it. I'm not sure Jesus was into taglining, but you know what I'm saying. What if he's saying, folks, get your head up. There's a bigger stage. Folks, get your head up. There's something greater going on. Guys, get your head up. Because as long as your head's down and you don't believe this, you're an easier target. If you don't believe there's not schemes, the word scheme there, schematic, if you're looking at you know, the wiring, all the things that go with it, and this is schematic of the enemy. We have to realize if this prayer is going to make any sense at the end of the day or any prayer is that there is a spiritual warfare going on. Being ignorant of that fact may be one of the biggest battles that is going on. And because you believe it doesn't erase the fact that it's true. The only way you can pray this prayer with feeling earnestly, completely, is to believe there's a bigger stage. John Eldridge says this in his book, Waking the Dead. He said, before Jesus promised us life, he warned that a thief would try to steal, kill, and destroy. How come then we don't think that the thief is actually steal, kill, and destroys. <laughs> you won't understand your life. You won't see clearly what happened to you till, or how to live forward from here unless you see, see it as a battle, a war against your heart. And you're going to need your whole heart for what's coming next. There are a few things I know, and one thing I, I do know is this. We don't see things as clearly as we ought, as we need to. We don't understand what's happening around us or to us or to those we love, and we are practically clueless when it comes to the weight of our own lives and the glory that is being held back. The Shekinah glory that Adam had in the garden. The kind of glory that when, when the animals and everybody saw Adam, they were supposed to see God as a representer, a representative God. But then sin came along and tainted it. And we all fall short of what? The glory of God. And when we come back to Christ, that glory is being restored piece by piece. I think it's St. Arrhenius. I don't know if I have it up there or not. But it is the glory of God. What is it? You got it up there? I know I got it somewhere. The glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. You know, the thief only comes to do what? Still kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. 
Scripture mentions it. If you don't know, if you think this is not, I'm taking this out of context, then you haven't been reading your, word, your, your Bible. Just I'm not trying to be rude about that, I'm just saying. Scripture talks about him as the ruler of this world or a way of thinking. Romans 12, the ways of this world, implying that Satan has major influence on the ideals and opinions and goals and hopes and views of the majority of people. And there should be a warning sign when you become a Christian going, you're entering into a war zone. There should be something going, this is different. This is different. Jesus took him seriously. Paul and Peter write about it. If Scripture is true, if it is, I believe it is, he exists. He has been on the destruction of God's purpose and plan for his people. And he is a formidable foe. The good news, even though he is the prince and power of the air, he has no claim over the children of God. Nor does he have any power to tempt you beyond what God can allow or give you escape. His power is not equal to God's power. The death and resurrection, not only do you have the power to walk in it, but Satan's ultimate destruction is assured. One of the things I want to give you a picture today, and I don't think I have in my notes necessarily this way, but I just want to make sure it popped in my head. It's getting late early. Uh, We tend to have this thought about Satan and God if we do believe in it. That we are somehow or another here. And that some days God's winning. Someday the enemy's winning. Someday God's winning. Someday the enemy's winning. But when you think that way, you put them on the same plane. God's here. Satan's there, you get to do this. You have the chance to crush his plans. They're not equal. The creation can never equal the creator. You need to get that out of your head. There's nothing else you hear today. If you believe in this at all, and you may not, and you may be going out here, this is a kooky church, and I'm gone, but you need to read the Bible. That's all I can tell you. You need to read Scripture. That's what we're trying to teach here. But one of the things I want to assure you is they're not equal. Please get that out of your head. You're a child of God. That is enough. It is enough. Now you need to walk in it. You need to walk in the authority of it. You need to be living it. You don't need to let sin be draining it out to other places that it shouldn't be going. That's the reason why a police officer, when a police officer stands in the middle of an intersection and he puts his hand up for you to stop, it's not because he's big enough to stop that Mack truck, is it? How's he able to stop it? By the authority that I'm walking in, stop. 
What if some of the biggest battles that are going on in your family's life, what if some of the biggest battles that are going on in our country, what if some of the biggest battles that are going on are being fought in the heavenlies? Over your children, over your grandchildren, over your, over your marriage, over the, what if it's being fought there? And it's not just you fixing this and fixing that, and I'm all for going to, to therapists and, and coaches or whatever it will help you get there. But please, I hope, to, I hope and pray that if they're a Christian, somehow they're helping you to realize there's something bigger. It's not just what's inside of you that's battling. It's what's going on around you. It's all of it. And we live as if it doesn't exist. And I include me in there. I'm not pointing the finger at you. To discourage you. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I'm just going to read through 17 real quick because I, I want to make sure we have time. And I don't want, want to lose you in the middle of all this. Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. I could teach just on that because it is a fascinating study when you get into those scriptures. Therefore, in other words, everything I just said here, Paul's saying, therefore, because that's going on, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm again with a belt of truth in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith for which we can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I just say this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You can read the rest of it. When you pray, deliver us from the evil one. You are not sitting on the sidelines. Some of you have been sitting on the sidelines in the stands way too long. And when that word says stands, it doesn't mean the bleachers. I just thought that up right there. You know what it means to stand? It's to stand with a made-up mind. And that mind needs to be refreshed by the righteousness of God's word. And you need to know how to stand. Stand against the evil one. Stand against the principalities and powers. Stand against the ways of this world. Stand, not in arrogance, because we know that the fruit of the Spirit still has to come out of you. Not just some cocky, hey, I'm going to go fight. I'm ready to go. No, you got to, it's, it's un- unbelievable. It's got to look like Jesus. It's got to look like Jesus. I'm a warrior. You even, you've never seen a greater warrior than Jesus. Belt of truth. 
Nothing will fit correctly unless this is in place. Because Satan's primary weapon is the lie. It's not just lies you tell, but there are lies that you believe that are devastating. Especially when it comes to shame and guilt and all the other things that go with that. Believing the truth doesn't make it true. It's true, so we believe in it. The day I came to Christ in 1986, the truth didn't just become truth at that moment. It was already the truth, and I believed in it. It was already true, or it was never true. You know, one of the statements I've heard often, I just, we go, we attribute it to Scripture. God helps those who help themselves. How many can find that in Scripture for me? Yeah, yes, we're supposed to work and all that kind of stuff. But I read that, and I thought, what a lie. For believers, yes, God, we're supposed to go to work, and laziness is definitely clear in work, Scripture. No, don't misunderstand me. But this is what I found. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. What? I thought it's those who help themselves are helped. No, those who help others are helped. What a crazy thing to have in the Bible. Where it backs up that statement, when I'm good to others, I'm always best to myself. Oh, that's in Scripture? Not necessarily, but it is. Well, God helps those who help themselves. And yes, you need to work. But what's greater for those who are believers is God really blesses those who help others. Have you structured your life where you can bless others or just yourself? Is most of your structure in life blessing you? Jan and I are talking about it. We're working through it personally. How have we structured our finances? Have things changed over the years? Have I gotten a little harder? Have I operated more in scarcity? The closer I get to the finish line, or am I more generous? Because you would think maturity, the more you mature in Christ, the more generous you'd get. You'd think. you just think that. The breastplate of righteousness in place. To pursue righteousness. I'm going to read this. I know we're running out of time here, but 2 Timothy. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. But some are for special purposes. I would even say uncommon purposes is the word I'd put in there. And some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, another common for special purposes, cleanse ourselves on the ladder for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. We've got to get some things. We've got to get our house in order in order to be, used, be useful to the master. I don't know about you. If I, if I ask you today, how many of you want to be useful to Jesus? You'd go, okay, well, there's a formula. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. And you know i got a whole sermon on that. Most, those have been in my teen group going, oh, I don't want to hear that again. I won't, I won't preach it. Had to do around dating partly. But. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Look around see who you're hanging out with. See what they're pursuing. Look and see what they're pursuing. Sure hope it's righteousness. Sure hope so.
Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I love Isaiah 52. I know we don't have it up there, but I love this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, some of you freak out and see people's feet. I get that. I've heard that. And some of you need to wear socks more, just so you know. But Scripture tells us, those who bring good news. Ah, how beautiful are those that are running. Because of what it has to do with, you're carrying, you're running. Those messengers will become running from city to city. And they're coming to the city gates. And they can see them from way out there. And they see them, they're bringing good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It gives you motive. It gives you reason to get up in the morning. Because I'm bringing something to people that's good news. Because if it's good news for you, it's good news for everybody. People who are far away from God and people who are walking with him with all their heart. It's good news. The shield of faith. If you ever thought about the fact that temptation becomes a pathway to following Christ... Conquering through his power makes our character rise more to being transformed into his likeness. I love what Martin Luther says. Temptation is not as much the penalty of manhood as it is the glory of manhood. It is that by which a man is made an athlete of God. God wants us to be strong in him, and temptations and trials get you there. That's a little bit different way of looking at that. God, where have you been? God, you abandoned me. Or I'm becoming an athlete for God. I hope this is good news to you. I don't know. Take the helmet of salvation, the greatest battleground you will have. Scripture talks about it. Love the Lord, you got the heart, so mind. The greatest battleground you'll have is right here. This is your greatest battleground. So put on the helmet of salvation. Remember who you are. Remember you're a child of God. Yes, you have things, and you stumble along the way. Don't give up. Get up. When you stumble, get up. Don't give up. Get up. Take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Frisk it at the door when a thought comes and go, does that make, I don't think that lines up where I'm headed. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The only offensive weapon you have in the arsenal is the Word of God. If I ask you today, where is your salvation based on your knowledge of the Word of God? What would be your answer? Jesus used it, for it is written when he was tempted in the wilderness. For it is written. One scripture in one morning, one scripture in one morning delivered me from alcohol. Done. Never touched it again. One scripture. Not for everybody. Not for everybody's temptation or any problem. But for me, it was one scripture. Here's the one thing I'm convinced of as we've close the enemy yields no ground to simple emotion or sincerity 
He backs off only when he's confronted with the authority of Christ you walk in. You need to be walking in the authority. The only way you can do that is you got to own this thing, baby. It can't be your mama's faith. It can't be your wife's faith. It can't, you, it's got to be yours. You've been dependent, some of you have been dependent on other people walking this out for you for way too long. If not, which, if not this life, which life? We don't believe in reincarnation. But you know, as I was driving down Chandler Boulevard, tempted, I mean seriously tempted, I was not kidding at all, tempted, and that's Josiah and him to come on up. And By the way, we're going to be doing communion here in just a moment. If you don't have your elements, if you want to slip back and get those, that would be good too, and don't, it doesn't bother me. I close with this. As I drove down Chandler Boulevard, had the radio on, and I was listening to K-Love. I mean, you know K-Love has been around forever, but it's a national program and all that. And I'm driving down the road, and I turn the radio on, and out of nowhere, I turn the radio on. It's October Pastor Appreciation Month. Go ahead and mark that on your calendar so you know. Uh, but uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, and... A guy named Ken that I had never met that I was going to get to know came over the radio station. He said, my name's Ken so-and-so. He said, I attend Crossroads Nazarene Church in Chandler, Arizona. He said, I just want to say today how much I love and appreciate my pastor, Pastor Mark Fuller. And just wanted to let him know. And as I'm driving along there going, you mean the Mark Fuller I'm about to interview with tomorrow? You mean the church that I'm about to go interview at? See this afternoon? That same crossroads, that same Mark Fuller? Obviously, we're here. But if I would have made a decision out of how tired I was and based on exhaustion and everything else, but God goes, you wonder if in the heavenlies, God's going, hey, he's teetering. <laughs> he needs a little nudge. Now, would I move to Arizona based on that one thing? No. There was a whole lot of other things that came along that caused us to move to Arizona. And you know what? By us making that decision to move to Arizona, I think there's between 50 and 60 other people that have ended up in Arizona because of that one decision. I'm not saying that about me. I'm just trying to follow the will of God. But I was tempted to run. Is there anything right now, one, before we go to prayer, as we do communion, that you've excused? It just comes to your mind immediately. As a temptation that you say, and not because it was mine. I'm not putting mine on you. Now, some of them obviously would line up in Scripture. They'd be the same. Okay, I'm not saying that. But sometimes it's not. But something comes to your mind immediately and go, well, I, I got, that is keeping me from going where I need to go because I'm built to run. 
For some of you, it'll be things you've done or you're thinking about doing or things you're thinking about walking away from and God's nudging you. As I pray for us, would you just bring that before the Lord as we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper? But I wrote this down today, and it's obviously a little bit of the Apostles' Creed. As I pray this, and I'll conclude by praying a little part of this, but I want you to go with me here and just think this through. And if you can't pray it to yourself, then that's fine. I don't ever want to lead you down a path you don't want to go. But let me pray it this way. Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, was born of a virgin, as you said, and lived without sin. I believe that he died for me on the cross. I believe he was buried and rose three days later, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He walked out of the tomb and was seen alive. Because he lives, I have life and have it to the full. Lord, I renounce the involvement with the enemy, which has led me to certain bondages. I now ask the Holy Spirit to guide me in all truth. I ask you to search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any harmful way in me and lead me into the everlasting life. And Lord, we come before you today. There may be some that's because of exhaustion, because of circumstances or frustration, we're ready to bolt or back up. Sometimes that is for us to pause. But sometimes it's the scheme of the enemy. Sometimes it's our own doing. But Lord, give us wisdom and insight. And Lord, as years ago when we finally moved here, it was more than one incident on on a radio. But it was praying and fasting and seeking wisdom. And then just ultimately it seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit to move to Arizona. But Lord, we need wisdom you to take control of this and to protect us from ourselves then give us the strength to fight the battle that is going on around us it's not only going on for our lives but those connected to us for our culture we believe that there's a bigger stage that we're involved in Lord thank you now for life it's Jesus name I pray Amen. If you would take your elements at this time, have those. Josiah asked me earlier to try to explain how to open these a little better. I still don't know. Sorry. So, God bless you if you get there. But on the night he was betrayed... He knew what was coming. But he sat with those that would deny him. He sat with those who would betray him. He took the bread. He gave it to them and said, eat. And I ask you now to take for the comfort of your soul. And he took the cup. 
cup was the blood representing the blood, the wine that was representing the blood that would be shed. As we've said multiple times this last week, as we've said here in saying, the power in the blood. But today we take in remembrance what Christ has done for us, is doing for us, and is going to do for us. But we drink now in remembrance of Him, to the comfort of our soul and gratefulness. We're going to close in song. Let Josiah decide what that is. <laughs> but uh, we'll start a new series next week. Really going through the book of John. And if you've wondered kind of where your walk with Christ, how this personal relationship that I hope and pray, and I'm not, we're not 100% solid, but John taught from the Jesus he knew. And I hope over these next many weeks, if you're, if you're young in the faith or you've been doing this a long time and it just feels so distant, distant, It'll be an encouragement to you. But I hope today, my hope is this passage of Scripture today and this message was a, it was a hope, not fear. Not like, oh, there's something scary around every corner. No, walk in the power and the authority that has been given you. It changes everything. Amen.